We're going to jump into Ecclesiastes again this morning, but before we do, would you just join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray together. Our Father, I just uh, thank you for this time together this morning. I thank you for bringing your people together to worship and to glorify, to to know and to make known uh, Jesus together. Lord, I pray that that's what happens here, is that Jesus is made known. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be a work in our hearts and, and through uh, everything that we do this morning to, to help us to know Jesus, to help us know your great love for us uh, and to be changed by who you are and, and what you've done in and through Jesus Christ and who that makes us, Lord, and, and, and may it shape how we live our life. Uh, we, I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each one of us, um, shaping our heart, helping us to hear what we need to hear. You say what you want to say to each one. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, we're in Ecclesiastes. Uh, this morning, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 through 11. Um, if you're reading through Ecclesiastes, you kind of find that the tone uh, starts to change at this point in the book. The pace sort of picks up um, as the preacher in Ecclesiastes kind of start wrapping things up. We're nearing the end. Uh, this is the second to last week in Ecclesiastes. Next week we'll finish up. Um, and so today we're covering what seems like kind of a large section. It includes some like big clusters of Proverbs that we're not going to work all the way through and out together. I'd encourage you to go back and, and read through this and sit through it, uh, spend some time here. But, but this morning we're just going to concentrate on a few key passages in these three chapters that help kind of move us through where the preacher is ultimately guiding us in this section. So we're going to go ahead and read in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. If you want to follow along with me, turn in your Bible to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9. You could also follow along on a screen if you don't have a Bible with you. The preacher says this, he says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as uh, he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Welcome to Ecclesiastes. It's such a bluntly honest book, right? It says the things we don't really like to talk about, but it says them for our good. It's helping us to face some of the hard facts of life, and it's for our good. It's for a better life for us. For us, And in these verses, we're faced with a, a blunt, uh, honest saying again, and that is, we all die. Every one of us will die. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you come from. One day, you and I will all die. There isn't even anything that you can do to ensure that your life will last longer 
or shorter or whatever than somebody else's. Life is fleeting. Life is a vapor. Life is like smoke. It's just here and then it's gone. You can't get it, capture it. You can't pin it down. It's fleeting. The, pe- the preacher has said over and again since the very beginning of this book that since, there, since there's nothing that we can do in this life that truly gains us anything that will last, since we all die, then there's nothing better than to eat and to drink and to enjoy life. Just live today because tomorrow we die. And a lot of what he has been saying, I think, has helped us to, has been helping to free us up to live in the present, to actually live in today, like learning to be content with what we have been given today. And he repeats the same thing that he's been saying over and over and over again uh, throughout the book here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 through 10, but he expands on it a little, so I want to read this. Verses 7 uh, through 10, it says, go, eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life. And in your toil, at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. Let yourself enjoy this day and everything it holds. We talked about this a little bit last week, uh, even talking about meditating maybe on Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Letting this kind of like declaration give us new perspective on the day and forming how we view it as, as a gift from God whether we can see it in the moment or not. This is what the preacher says is good. Don't see the present day merely as a means to gain something for tomorrow. Rather, number it. Know that it's a gift in itself and that nothing is guaranteed for tomorrow. So enjoy today. Now that may all be well and good, but I don't think it's everything. It doesn't answer everything. Like if, we're, if we are freed somehow to stop living for tomorrow, to start living for today, will we really kind of like have unlocked some sort of secret to life? You know, I know that this, this line from Ecclesiastes, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, that's been taken by some uh, as permission to do whatever we want with each day, right? Just live it up. Give no concern for tomorrow. Give no concern for yourself. Give no concern for anybody else. Just do what you want. Is that what the preacher of Ecclesiastes is saying? Certainly not. He's already taken us, like as we've gone through this book, he's already taken us along on his exploration of of the way of wisdom and the way of folly and the way of self-indulgence. He's shown that the the way of wisdom seems better, that there seems to be more satisfaction in it, and that while it does not guarantee a longer or more prosperous life, it does seem to at least kind of lean in that direction. And now he spends chapter 9 through 11, I think, making the case that walking in wisdom rather than walking in the way of folly and of self-gain is the way to truly enjoy life in the present. He gives this parable at the end of chapter 9, it's verses 13 through 18. He says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. 
and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, and he besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise uh, heard in quiet are better than the shouting of ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. The wise person does what is best each day for the good of all. The wise person does what is best each day for the good of all. This poor man in the parable, he didn't gain lasting recognition. It doesn't sound like he even gained like a better life, maybe even a better like social status or anything like that in the end. But he used what he had for the good of all. And the preacher says, this is good. This is the better way. And then he sort of like just jumps in to this collection of proverbs, uh, and just different sayings that really just keep weighing the way of the fool uh, and the way of the wise against one another. And that kind of takes up all of chapter 10, and then it kind of culminates in chapter 11. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump to chapter, chapter 11. We're going to read those 10 verses there. It says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So in the morning, sow your seed. And at evening withhold not your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Ecclesiastes began with a collection of thoughts uh, made to reveal the fleeting nature of life, made to make us question like the meaningfulness of our life. Does it matter what you do with this life if you can't gain anything for yourself? Does it matter what you do if you're ultimately going to die and there's nothing that you can do about it? Is there really any purpose to it all? And now at the end of the book, as we kind of start to draw to a close, we're given uh, this collection of thoughts that sort of push back. They say, yes, it matters. It matters what we do. It matters how we live today. It matters how you live your life. See, I think what we often get wrong is the idea that our meaning or our our purpose come from our ability to achieve something or to gain something, uh, that our purpose is found in maybe like how we set ourselves apart from the rest of humanity. But the preacher has spent chapters proving that it's just not the case. Because no matter what you achieve or no matter what you accomplish, no matter what you gain, no matter how you set yourself apart, 
we're all united in this, you and I will die. And even if people know who you are for a little while after you're gone, or even if you made yourself a name for yourself the last a good long while, it really won't matter because you'll still be dead, you'll still be gone, and none of it will gain you anything in death. So what we're meant to see is that our purpose and our meaning, it isn't something that we gain in this life. Rather, we were made full of purpose. We were made full of meaning. If we go back to Genesis, we're, we're created in the image of God. Uh, we live under the sun, as the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says so much, with the purpose of bearing his image here, of making him known here. We were created to make God known for who he is presently. In this time and place, we were created in this time and place, each one of us, to make him known here. We were made with that meaning. We were made with that purpose. We were made full of purpose and living from it rather than for a purpose or to gain a purpose is where life is found to be most satisfying, most full because it's the definition of life for us. It's what we were made for. What does it look like? I like at the beginning of chapter 11, it says, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. And I know we might read that and be like, what is this gobbledygook? What is that? What does that even mean, right? Who's throwing bread in the water and why are they going looking for it later? Uh, It's not an original proverb to Ecclesiastes or even to the Bible. It sort of plays on an ancient Egyptian proverb that was likely familiar to many in, in their time. Basically, it means like if you... Throw a good deed in the river and let it go down. When the river dries up, he'll still be there. You'll still find it. In other words, you, you can afford to be generous. Nothing is lost in your generosity. Nothing is lost when you do good for all. And if you pair it with the rest of what the preacher says here about make, freely giving your portions to seven or to eight and so on, uh, maybe not relying on the weather report to decide whether you sow or whether you reap and all of that, Uh, The exhortation we should hear is to live in the present enough uh, to live within and from our God-given purposes today by living in a way that takes others into consideration and does what is good for all. This is the way of wisdom. And we on this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we know that this is what God is like, right? Because this is what Jesus is like. Philippians 2, 4 through 8 says it well. Paul says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If we are created with the purpose of bearing God's image in this time and this place, and we are given the gift of today, if you're alive and breathing and you're here today, you've been given the gift of today. If that's true, then we have the freedom and the joy of making him known in this way, by giving ourselves for the good of all. Don't let worries or fears about about what you will have or what you won't have tomorrow determine whether you live the way you were created to live today. You're not even guaranteed tomorrow, but you've already been given the gift of today. 
When we live for our purpose or, 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 or for trying to attain our purpose, for achieving meaning and gaining something for ourselves, we have to protect what we have. We have to like store it up. We can't freely give it away. We can't consider the good of others over our own well-being for tomorrow. And not only can we not uh, give anything away, we can't even enjoy what we have because we can't eat our bread, then we won't have bread for tomorrow. And we can't drink our wine, especially the good stuff, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Then we'd be out of wine and we wouldn't be able to use it. We can't even enjoy the things that we have. Here's what I think the practical takeaway is for us today. It's that living like, from our purpose and our God-given meaning Living presently in a way that that bears God's image to others and is good for all is actually the most satisfying and the most joy-filled way that we can live. The way of wisdom, the way of righteousness, it doesn't strive to hold on to, to that which is fleeting, no matter how good. Rather, it recognizes that while everything under the sun is fleeting and our days are numbered, our hope and our joy uh, lies not in things that, uh, not in those things, but in using all the things we've been giving to know, given to know God, and to make Him known. There's nothing better for us. That's a hard thing to believe sometimes. But if we were actually made for that purpose, if that's what the definition of life is for us, then that's living and doing anything apart from that is dying. It's death. It's no good. Ecclesiastes is meant to help us make a major shift in our perspective. It started with the idea that if we couldn't do anything to gain something lasting for ourselves, then life must just be pointless. It must be meaningless. But it's guided us over these chapters to the realization that that we may not have anything to gain, but we have everything to give. Jesus is our ultimate example As we saw in the passage from Philippians, he considered others before himself. He emptied himself even to the point of death. And what Jesus did is free us even more to live this way. Like in the work of Jesus Christ and the cross and his resurrection, we know that even death has lost its sting. Because Jesus has made a way for us to walk out the other side of it. We still don't know everything about eternity. We don't know everything about what life is going to look like with Jesus after we die. We don't even know what tomorrow is going to look like. There's a mystery to it all, for sure. But the reality that we have an eternity of today's to spend ought to free us even more to be fully present today in a way that lives from our God-given purpose of making Him known in all things. As we close, just listen to what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. For time, I'm not going to read it all, but but go read Matthew 6 this week. It's so good. It goes so well with this. But listen to what he says in chapter 6 of Matthew 19 through 21. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think a good question for us is, are you striving to gain something? Or are you free to lose everything? Is your heart captive to treasures on earth? Or are you freed in Jesus to joyfully uh, consider others and to spend yourself for the good of all?
Last week I asked you, like I said at the beginning, to try uh, declaring Psalm 118, 24 uh, daily throughout the week. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Somebody at dinner for 10 last night told me that they had done that, uh, and often it was through gritted teeth. That was my experience also. If you practice this, it may have been your experience a couple times also. But that's the point, right? It's, it's to, to keep giving us the perspective when we need it the most, that this is a gift, that this is the day that he's made, and we are to rejoice and be glad in it. This week, I think maybe we try to increase our perspective even a little bit more. This is what I'm going to try. This is what I'm going to try declaring throughout the week. It's not scripture. I can't tell you to, you have to do it. Um, but, but try maybe this out if you want to. Just join me in it. Just declaring a few times each day, however you do that, a note on the dash, reminders on your phone, something on the mirror of your bathroom, something on your computer at the office, whatever. This is the day that the Lord has made. There's nothing more to gain. I have everything to give. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. There's nothing more to gain. I have everything to give. I will rejoice and be glad in it. See how that shakes us through those gritty moments. Shakes us back into the perspective where we realize we don't don't have to store anything up for tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread. He's faithful and just to do that. He's already given us this day. We can rejoice and be glad in it. We can use it. We can enjoy what he's given us. We can use it for the good of all. As we enter into a time of response, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment to consider your heart, to prayerfully consider your heart. Are, are you filled with what Ecclesiastes calls vexation, frustration, writhing in your heart to gain meaning, to gain purpose? Are you anxious about tomorrow? Are you given over to meaninglessness and self-indulgence? What has your heart? Or are you living from a realization that you've been given meaning and purpose, that you're an image bearer of God, and that today is a gift, and that your life is a gift, and that you have everything you need for today, and there's nothing to gain, and there's everything to give and to enjoy. The band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. Uh, we're going to come, and we're going to take communion together. When we do that uh, at Redemption Church, we just come down uh, the middle aisle. You can take the bread, and you can dip it in the wine or the juice, which, of course, it represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It was given for us. Right? And we're remembering that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We're remembering that he's the proof that death has lost its sting and that he can be trusted with all our todays forever. And we're proclaiming this truth to one another in our actions. So if you're a Christian and you can confess these things together or profess these things together, uh, we invite you to come and join us in doing that, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not. Uh, you can also give your tithes in the back. You can do that online. If that's slipping out of your account unaware, at least take a moment in our time of worship to remember, I mean, it's so relevant, right? That God is our provider, that he gives us everything and we can afford to give it all back um, to him. Not just our money, but our entire life, our deeds, everything that we do. And I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer. And, And as you...
pray and consider your heart. Um, take time to do that. Pray with each other if you'd like. Pray with a friend. Grab somebody um, and pray together. And then when you're free to do so, come and take with us. I'm going to pray for us and we'll move into that time. Our Father, I just pray that um, you help us remember at this moment that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us to, to whisper into the deepest places in our heart that you're with us, that you're sufficient, that you're our provider and sustainer. We have nothing to fear apart from you. I pray that you would release us from um, anxieties and worries about tomorrow, that you would uh, release us from uh, vexation and frustration about gaining and uh, accomplishing and all of these things to, to matter or to find our meaning. I pray that you uh, instead help us to uh, have the eyes of our heart opened to realize your great love for us, to realize our created purpose as image bearers, to realize that in and through Jesus Christ, those of us who uh, call ourselves Christians, we are, we are calling ourselves children of God. This is who we are to you. This is our meaning. This is our purpose, to make him known. God, I pray that you then help us to do that this morning, to, to remember, to proclaim, to know you more, and, and to make you known more clearly and fill our hearts with joy as we are shaped into this image of Jesus Christ as we are shaped into this image bearer of God as we are shaped into Christ likeness together and then I pray Lord that you would use uh, this people and this church here on Sunday, but then as we go, like in, in all of life, in all the things that we do, uh, I pray that you would help us to make Jesus known each day and to find over and over and over again that you are our everything, that you fill up our soul with joy, and that you're all I want, that you're all that we could need, and help us just live with abandon to be able to, to give it away to enjoy you and to give you away. Make yourself known. In Jesus' name, amen.